Hello and welcome to Oxblogger TV. We're once again delving into the archives of Oxford United's past. Dan and Rich are here again to take us through some of our classic moments. We've decided that we're going to cater for a younger audience this episode by going back to 1999 <laughs> and a time of intrigue and turmoil for the club uh, off the field. We were crippled with debt. We had a half-built stadium and food parcels were being delivered to the staff at the club. But in January of that year, the club was deep in crisis, uh, but were thrown a lifeline uh, when we were drawn at home to Chelsea in the fourth round of the FA Cup. I was there, stood on the London Road. Dan, Rich, where were you? I was stood outside before the match selling uh, my Yellow Fever fanzine, the hugely popular and uh, successful fanzine of, of the period. Um, this was episode seven. It was selling for uh, the princely sum of one pound. Picture of Dean Windass on the front and uh, a joke about Keith Cox on the front. Keith Cox was our chairman at the time. Joke about Keith Cox on the back as well. Keith Cox was... Uh, well, the, the joke was he was earning £67 an hour, um, which he was taking out of the club at a time when no one else was getting paid at all, it seemed. So so that was that was the joke. Yeah, so um, at this time I was stood on the upper terrace of the Beach Road, actually, where the hardcore stood getting rained on every other week. But the attendance on that terrace was slightly reduced that night because... Sky Sports had commandeered part of it to build a makeshift studio in the corner. I don't know if you remember that. But yeah, we amused ourselves with um, verbally abusing Richard Keyes as he walked past to the studio with references to um, his pursuit hands, shall we say. <laughs> I think this is uh, the last great night at the Manor. I don't think there was another kind of night that felt, you know, that sort of classic under the, under the floodlights thing. I think this was the last classic night and I do remember the uh, sky coverage giving it an extra sheen probably simply because of the arc lights and stuff like that which maybe didn't happen in the kind of the big games of the 80s and stuff like that it wasn't there wasn't the production so there was a kind of the the whole stadium seemed to kind of shine so I think you know this is this was quite a sort of quite a special night really but we probably didn't know at the well we didn't know at the time probably because we thought we weren't going to survive until, you know, for the next couple of weeks, because we were really in quite a serious state. The club really were totally screwed at the time. Um, I'm just going to show this, like, it's called a VT. This is what Sky ran before the match, setting up the club's, the club's problems. Let's have, have a watch and uh, we'll have a chat about it afterwards. Your guide to Oxford begins here, the magnificent stately home of the Duke of Marlborough, built in the 18th century. University colleges, some of the oldest in the world among the dreaming spires. Eccentricity, it seems marine life has more chance of survival here than the football club. Oxford's problems began with the ambitious plans to move here. The money ran out two years ago and the club descended into the unseemly morass of financial crisis. Malcolm Shotton lifted the League Cup for the club in the good old days. Now he picks up the latest bills from the postman. And the food parcels are still coming. The people in around, not just Oxfordshire, the, uh, the whole country really has supported the club in enormous amounts. Um, good wishes, little donations, but uh, the, you know, the, the people around Oxford have really rallied around the football club. What about your own 
personal position, Malcolm. Did you go a length of time without being paid at all? Yeah, it was about nine or ten weeks, I think. All the playing staff were paid. All the non-playing staff, which was my coaching staff, myself, all the girls and boys in the office, all went without pay. How did you cope with that? How did you go back and tell your wife there's no money this month or whatever? Uh, it was it was difficult. Um, obviously, for for some worse than others. Um, but we you know we rallied round and, and we dug in as best we possibly could. And you know at the end of the day we knew that the club would come through in one shape or form or another. Um, hopefully it won't happen again. I mean we had to sell players to keep the club going. Uh, that hasn't helped. We've had a couple of major injuries which haven't helped. Everything what seemed to go wrong went wrong. Um, but you know we're still in with a fighting chance to uh, keep the club afloat. Um, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We've got a couple of people interested, um, and you know we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed. This may be a game between princes and paupers, haves and have-nots, but Oxford do have a bit of class amongst their supporters. Isn't it awful? Um, I, I hope these uh, difficult financial situations will be resolved quickly. But uh, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a fairy godfather or a fairy godmother on the horizon who's going to sort these problems out. The odds tonight, only one winners as far as the bookers are concerned. 5-2 to two on Chelsea, 13-2 to Oxford, 11-4 to four the draw. First of all, the Duke of Marlborough's outfit is quite something, right? Yeah, we should probably put a, some sort of warning at the start of this um, main deuce seizures or something of that nature because it's <laughs> pretty full on. In terms of the Oxford team, actually, given we're uh, you know selling players left, right, and centre that season, it's still not bad. There's quite a few of your favourites in there as well, Ob. Yeah, abs uh, absolutely. Um, you know, Les Robinson, Paul Powell, of course, who should have played for England. Mark Watson, who we've uh, featured previously. Yeah, I mean, it's a good side. Windass, obviously, it's a good side. But the thing that really jumped out at me is, of course, Elliot Jackson in goal. I I thought it was because of an injury. But it, it wasn't. We'd sold Phil Whitehead about two months earlier and we didn't have a senior goalkeeper. Jackson was our most senior goalkeeper. But we bought Paul Gerrard in, who was cup-tied. But, uh, yeah, I mean, although it is a strong side, you know, the fact that Jackson's featured is sort of a sign that things were starting to wob wobble. The other thing that was taken away at the time as well was Dean Windass, who was a spectacularly good player for us in a very short period of time that he was with us. There was a lot of interest in uh, him from other clubs at the time, and we kind of signed him under really strange circumstances. We, mm. we agreed, I think it's something like 400,000 with Aberdeen, that we never actually paid them. And they were demanding their money, funnily enough. And we didn't actually end up paying Aberdeen until we'd sold Dean Windus, which happened a, a few weeks after this, I think. Yeah, I, I think Aberdeen actually were quite generous in allowing us to delay the payment. That's my my understanding of it. But yeah, you're right. Um, we ended up selling him to Bradford and I think just made a profit, but that money had to yeah, then be, be shelled out for his original transfer. It was insane that a club in our state were trying to shell out or just shell out £450,000, even though obviously there was no cash involved at the time. But then we sold him on to Bradford for, what, 800000 or something like that in, yeah, yeah. in a period of, what, eight, ten months? So, yeah. um, so it was a heck of an investment in, in that sense. So Kassam was on the scene by this point, wasn't it? I don't yeah. know that his name was being bandied around. I mean, you guys were more deeply involved 
uh, on the on the uh, saving the club side of things. But Kassam was sort of coming in, and by the time we get to the replay, I'm not giving anything away. By the, I think we know what the result is. But by the time we get to the replay, he has actually taken the club over. So I think you're right. It probably delayed Windus going because I don't think Windus went until fairly late in the season and as you say there was no transfer windows at the time so yeah it, it, it did delay it. Those of us who were involved with foul, I think we knew about him and we knew his name but I don't think we were allowed to really talk about it. When was that Birmingham home defeat 7-1? That, that was December 98 wasn't it? Yeah. And so we knew about him then and I actually rang 606 and spoke to David Meller about it and um we were kind of next to bottom of, you know, of the first division as it was then. People hadn't been paid for two months, like you say, food parcels. Yeah, and then then the BBC actually then rang me and said, could I appear on a BBC Choice show, which was hosted by Tom Watt, Lofty in EastEnders. And it was about <laughs> midnight that night on Saturday. But it was kind of, I, I, we you know, didn't have satellite TV at the time, so I was talking to him and a studio audience without being able to see them. And again, talking about the situation and, and basically saying, really, I don't care if we lose 7-1 as long as we still got a club to support next season. And I think on that call to Mella, I was saying we understand there's someone very interested and a purchase is on the horizon, but I couldn't, I couldn't say any more. And that would have been Kassan. So what, what, what was your involvement, Dan, with Fowl? I, to be honest, I wasn't massively involved. My time is taken up doing Yellow Fever and... I mean, that took up an, enough time. I thought of the name Fowl, though. That's my claim to fame. I, I invented the name Fowl. It came to me. I was in a, a queue for, for my sandwich at lunchtime, and I was playing around with the O and the U in my head, trying to think, OK, how can, how can I use the O and the U? And I came up with Soul, first of all, which was saving Oxford United's life. And then immediately thought, ah, we, we, I can turn something a bit more football-y and uh, became foul, uh, which was fighting for Oxford United's life. And I went back immediately after lunch and I, I posted it on, I think, what's the Rage, on, Rage Online forum. And everyone said, oh, yeah, brilliant idea. So that's, uh, that's my claim to fame. That's, that was my contribution to saving the club. I invented <laughs> the name for the, the group that did save the club. The big juxtaposition in this game is, of course, the opponents. So for as, as bad as as we were te teetering on the edge of oblivion and what you've got on the other side is the sort of second wave of premier league football so um you've got the the, the first wave of excitement where people like beckham burst onto the scene and people like that and then the club started bringing in these superstars from from overseas and chelsea of course were at the forefront of it so the so this team that that we were up against who i think were top of the table at the time I think we yep. were second from bottom in the what is now the championship um, and they were top of the Premier League. And this was the team that we faced. They finished they finished third in the end in the Premier League, but they were definitely top when we played them. And yeah, I mean, that lineup is unbelievable. I mean, there's at least two World Cup winners from the year before in LeBeuf and Desai. There's a very young John Terry there. I think it was his debut, his very first game ah, for Chelsea. Okay. Other Eagle-eyed viewers might have spotted a future Oxford United player amongst the uh, starting eleven as well. Mr. Dewberry. Mr. Dewberry. Um, shall Indeed. we watch the action? Away and over. We shall see. Well, 
Swiss, Swiss uh, flag. Yeah. Swiss flag. Who's that? I mean, the manor is looking magnificent at that point, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to bore you too much with technical TV talk, but Sky quite famous for kind of ramping up the colour on their footage. If you ever compare a Sky match to uh, a match to the highlights that's on another channel, for instance, you'll see they're very different colours. And Sky turn up the, they turn up the sound effects and they turn up the, uh, the colour just to make things look more colourful and more beautiful and, and sound even more exciting. So you say are you saying it actually looks rubbish <laughs> in real life? No, I, no, I'm not. <laughs> in real life, it, it, is black it did white. look spectacular <laughs> that night, um, in its kind of ramshackle and lovely way. But yeah, um, Sky do do tweak the colours on things. Oh, poor pal! Should have should have been huge. And so it's, um, sad. Yeah, dreadful. I know it's Jamie Cook in the shot, and um, when. Uh, Robert took that free kick. Jamie Cook was playing because Joe Beecham was uh, suspended. I think it was his third game of three game suspension. So that's why he wasn't involved and why Jamie Cook was playing. And then um, shot and actually stuck with the uh, with the starting level from this side. So Beecham was on the bench with Chelsea. Beecham was having quite a disappointing season, wasn't he, this season? Compared to the previous year where he'd scored... 19 20 goals and effectively kept us up on his own this season i remember beachman had been pretty disappointing there's so much excitement at the start of the season there's yeah. big kev who's supposedly going to score hundreds of goals for us uh windass who was a, a goal machine beecham who just had his most productive season ever and of course nicky banger to balance the side out by not scoring goals <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, there was so much excitement. It never quite happened for Beecham this year. I think, you know, there's that thing about him not being the biggest fish in the team. And he always performed best when he was the big fish. Um, and he wasn't quite this season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he must, I mean, the straight red must have caused that three game suspension, which I'd imagine was uh, a tasty tackle out of frustration or something. I don't remember. Paul Tate. Wow, that's some late 90s um, curtains going in there, isn't it? <laughs> that's great. I'm not sure if he's wearing his uh, SH1T on the Villa t-shirt underneath that ridiculous top. Paul Tate we just signed a couple of games previously. So again, this whole thing about football transfers that I don't really understand. You know, here we are. 14 million in debt and unable to feed the squad. And we'd signed Paul Tate a few days or a few games earlier. Yeah, yeah. And he was um he was reasonable profile, wasn't he? He wasn't a nobody. Yeah, yeah, he'd been at Birmingham for a long time, hadn't he? Yeah. Like you say on paper, there's a lot of really decent players now. I suppose one of the things about this team is they are players that on their day were very good. But they weren't on their day enough to 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 ensure they played at a higher higher level, really, with the exception probably of Windass. And I think I, mean, I know it's a total cliche, but a lot most players and managers deny that off-field problems affect their performance. But 
if ever a team were affected by off-field issues, it was this one. Yeah. It must be a factor. So I'm always drawn to the adverts in these sorts of games. There's no booze or fags this time. Maybe it was banned by them. Um, but lots for Yorkie. Were Yorkie like a main FA Cup sponsor or something? The Yorkie FA Cup? That would be disappointing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Going over there with the fourth official, Gary Willard, Mr. Reed, the man in charge tonight. Now, I watched the highlights earlier, I edited them down a little bit, and this bit fascinated me because Chelsea had complained that the ball was too inflated. <laughs> really? Um, they said the ball was too hard and they complained, so the ball, they. they either found a different ball or let a little bit, bit of air out. I like the fact they've got the police involved in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, George Gavin was uh, in amongst that conversation. George, what was it all about? Well, it's the first time I've heard of this, Alan. The Chelsea players were complaining the ball was too hard and they couldn't kick it properly, <laughs> so they changed the ball because it was too hard. Well, that's an old trick, Andy, isn't it? They used to soak them in water, didn't they? And days gone know. by. What are you asking me for? <laughs> I've always played when they've been plastic coated, I love you, know. <laughs> I think, Obi, a few weeks ago, you talked about how you'd have Matt Murphy around for dinner. Have you decided <laughs> what you're going to cook him yet? Or? Well, it would have to be something fairly bland. Oh, I've suddenly cast back to the manor. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Matt Murphy. You know, scored a lot of goals for us, and was was very loyal for a long long period of time. I don't know if he, he probably wasn't a first choice at this stage. Even he was more a. I, I'm I'm tempted to say super sub, super sub. I I I'm that not sure. That was nice. I think because he scored. I think he scored twice in the previous round. The way to crew, he went away to crew, and I think he was yes. regular. I think him and Gray were. Because Gray was, I mean, at this time, Gray was one of my favourite players because I thought he was so hard-working and, you know, he got booed. I remember being on the beach road and there were blokes on the terrace kind of trying to, you know, offer him out for a fight and all sorts. But I know they, the crowd ended up um, singing his name eventually. I think people got, got wind of the fact that he was actually really good for us. Um, Murphy, I mean, he went through that phase... Where he was like scoring week in week out, which there was there was that world in the days to be, was it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was five um, yards. I mean, a couple of seasons. The this season was. I remember him playing up front quite a lot. Yeah, they actually played him as a striker um, alongside Windass, and that's certainly what he's playing this game. Um, because he was, he wasn't quite good enough for midfield. Is he? Kind of really useful player for midfield in that he scored lots of goals for midfield, but he wasn't actually any good. Um, so we'd quite often lose with him in the team when he played midfield. So they, I think this season they played him up front quite a lot. Um, it's definitely this game he's playing up front, if you, if you look at where he's like, lining up on the pitch. I think he's a little bit like I see Mark Sykes at the moment, where he's clearly got ability, but it's his USP, you know, his unique selling point isn't that obvious. So you don't quite know where to play him. Uh, my, my, my preferred role for Sykes is, is that James Henry kind of inside right. But yeah. that's where James Henry plays. I think yeah, exactly. he's much better, a bit deeper than he is on the wing. 
I don't think he's an actual winger. Um, yeah, I nearly run over Mark Sykes in Bista the other year. <laughs> he was crossing. He was crossing the road at a very, very silly place. But um, yeah, we'll talk about that another time. Chelsea is our Super Sunday match. Three o'clock. The ball into a danger there. What I remember from this game was feeling tense, like like you know, like when you tense your muscles, but for ninety minutes. I just didn't settle at all. I, I think because probably by this point in the game, I'd started to think we've got a chance here because Chelsea clearly weren't firing as we thought they might. We're playing above where we expected to be. And while it was nil-nil, there was always a chance, obviously. It was still, though, there, there's that thing that we were... You know, we were so underdogs that in the first half when it was level, I was excited but not too nervous. In the second half, when we're leading, and you know that so much is, is riding on it, um, that's where the, the nerves really kicked in. I just remember feeling sick for pretty much yeah. seven minutes of the second half. Um, but this was just kind of fantasy at the time. You know, here we are against this kind of massive, huge spending Chelsea team. And we're not just holding them, but we're doing really well. Yeah. We've, still, we've still got nothing to lose at this point as well, right? There's there's literally nothing for us to lose. If, if we lost 4-5-0, you know, we wouldn't have been surprised, I don't think. Well, I think when we play teams like this, while it's still 0-0, there is that sort of tenseness that it might this is this could turn into something special i have had games where i think it was against manchester city a couple of years ago when they scored i relaxed because you know suddenly the world had reordered itself and everything was as i expected it to be but um but yeah but the, but of course with this game it it wasn't like that you know that that sort of sense of anticipation was you know the ch the, the, the the chance of a, a big upset um, was there throughout. I think Martin Gray is one of those players that you you miss when they're gone. That crab-like. That's what that's what people always used to talk about. Yeah, he's sideways passing only. <laughs> we were terribly cruel about him in the Yellow Fever. You know, really quite kind of unpleasantly cruel about him sometimes. And I, with hindsight, I regret that now. I was once travelling back from somewhere up north on a train and it was an incredibly crowded trans Pennine Express train and I was holding on to the bar like you do and I looked around and who should be standing next to me but none other than Martin Gray and I felt I had this kind of dilemma for about 20 minutes you know do I apologise for the nasty things <laughs> I've said about him uh, and no I didn't I just kept quiet I, he looked quite violent, to be fair, so I've been bothered. Just to balance that out, then I, I wrote, only ever wrote one article for your, uh, your rival, Ray John, and um, it was actually called Ray Matter, and it was in praise of Martin Gray. Um, yeah, I'd got to know Martin Rudetsky a little bit through foul, actually. We went to some games together. We went to Scunthorpe away on a Tuesday night. And lost 1-0 in the last minutes on a shot in his last games with Martin. Yes, so I wrote that and um, it might have been this, this season's, in one of those this season's fans, I'm not sure. 
when um, when Martin Gray left the club, um, again just to make me feel even worse, to him, I wrote to him. He went to Darlington, is that right? Uh, yeah, he was there for a long time. I think that's yeah. He, he became their sort of manager, didn't he? Yeah, took them back up through the divisions. But yeah, I wrote to Martin Gray to, to kind of say, not all of us thought the same way about you. You were much appreciated, and I was so pleased when players were singing your name you know, eventually and I think I mentioned he scored a goal against Reading at the Manor about 2-1 win or something you know and um, it must have been towards the end of the year because he then sent me a Christmas card <laughs> and in it and I, I, I can't find it for love nor money he sent me a Christmas card and in it he had cut out a picture from a local newspaper in Darlington there's a photograph of him. You know the famous shot of Vinnie Jones squeezing Gazza's unmentioned figures? It was one of him doing that to an opponent. And he literally cut it out of the newspaper and sellotaped it into the Christmas card. And I desperately wish I could find it, but it's lost to history, I think. But yeah, that is, that is absolutely true. What a lovely man. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, yeah Dan, what, do you, what have you got to say for yourself? <laughs> Um, yeah, not much. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh, so close. Now, Dean Windass was some player. I, I was living in Hull a couple of years before this. So, 94 to 97, I was living in Hull, the university there. And the first season and a half of that, Dean Windass was playing for Hull. I managed to go and watch Hull City play. And you know, I saw this guy play and I thought, my God, he's really good. He is really, 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 really good. Um, and then followed his career after he left Hull. So he went to Aberdeen next, um, where he had a slight kind of tempestuous relationship with the club. He was either brilliant or getting sent off, it seemed. So um, when the rumours started that we were going to sign him, and I think he signed because he, he'd known Malcolm Shotton, who played at Hull with him. Um, when the rumours started that we were going to start, I just could not believe that we were in for this guy who was as good as I knew he was. Um, yeah, he was um, He was recently on Russell Brand's new podcast called Football is Nice, which is well worth a listen. But I was a bit gutted because they talked about him a lot and then they had him on the phone. We didn't mention Oxford once and I was thought, actually, we were the springboard to where he went on to. You know, we took him out of obscurity. But, yeah, he was saying um, that... Brian Horton was manager of Hull and they let him go. And he was gutted because he was a whole supporter, he was a hometown, hometown boy. And um, like you say, ended up at Aberdeen. He, um, Aberdeen, one game he got the equivalent of three red cards because he got a straight red, then he got a red for something to do with abuse, and then he got, he got a red for them sort of, you know, smashing something up on the way off the pitch. And that was just before he joined us. Yes, yeah, so it's a bit disappointing that he didn't, um, you know, he didn't talk about us in more detail on, on that podcast, which is a good podcast, I should say. Um, other podcasts are available. Now, years later, he scored the winner at Wembley in the playoff final, which took hold to the Premier League. And Brian Horton was assistant manager to Phil Brown. Um, so he'd gone full circle. And he said he offered his winner's medal to Brian Horton to say, you know, kind of thank you for for sort of how things have worked out. But he said Brian Horton refused to take it, and now he's—I think he's had to sell all of his stuff for, I don't know, for charity or just to, for his own income. But 
yeah, really interesting guy, a very interesting career as well. I think he, I mean, looking at him now, I can't see it, but he, he kind of had that Paul Gascoigne feel about him. You know, a, a bit of a character and, and that kind of stuff. You weren't wrong. And the 21-year-old goalkeeper was on his toes. Yeah. The goals he scored in the context of how we were playing at the time um, was phenomenal. He, I mean, he wasn't quick, which probably stopped him from being like mm. a top player. But he was, I mean, he was so strong in the ball. He could pass the ball better with his chest than most of our team could with their feet. Um, and he scored loads and loads and loads of goals. And yeah, he was just an amazing player. Um, so you probably can tell from the way that the clock has whizzed past, these are edited highlights of the match. Um, but we're half-time and really even. You know, we've had as, as many chances as they've had. Um, we're obviously playing up the hill this half. So, you know, there's, we, we know what's coming in the second half. Nicky Banjo. <laughs> Discuss. There was another player I was very rude about in my fanzine, actually. <laughs> well, his surname just invites, invites the business world. Do you think his name really is Banger? And he's kind of changed it to sound a bit better. <laughs> well, like um, Mrs. Bouquet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's not called Ed Degui either, apparently. I saw Banger play for us. It must have been late that season, maybe a couple of months after. We won away at Sheffield United. And Paul Gerrard produced one of the best saves I've ever seen in my life. And Bain just scored with a direct free kick, I think. He did, yeah. That was like, that was just such an outlier for that season, for us to win away. I mean, yeah. Just sheer luck that I happened to. But Banger, Banger had a bit of a reputation coming in, a bit like Paul Tate, because we were—that's what we were kind of good at—was picking up players that that were talented but still had a little bit in them. So go back to Johnny Byrne, Kevin Francis, who's on the bench here, um, Banger. But Banger didn't fire in the same way that that Francis and the, the others did. I hope Kevin Francis doesn't come off the bench. That'd be just <laughs> disastrous, surely. Talk about Francis in the second half, but there's a really interesting backstory that's not very well known about Francis this season. Um, I will share it with you at, at an appropriate time in the second half. Maybe it's really well known, I don't know. I might say and you might both go, oh, we knew that already. There he is, Martin Gray. Lovely bloke. Was it a one-off yeah. Christmas card, or they, did they keep on coming every year with him <laughs> grabbing yeah, other it players? Was, yeah, it was a one-off. It was a one-off, yeah. yeah. You send one to him, though, every year. <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Care of Darlington FC. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if he's there anymore. He really we're, well still, we're still very sorry. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And now I can actually put names... Of individuals who are personally so, you know, until now it was just a kind of a, a blanket, a blanket apology. 
Now, I'm definitely somewhere in there. I can't quite spot myself because of the grainy footage, but I'm definitely in there because I can make out a couple of other people who I did know who I stood roughly near. Um, there we go, half time. Hey, feeling, boys? Feeling good for the second half? You know, kicking down the slope, you've always got a chance. Exactly that. What, took the words out of my mouth. Straight in for the second half? Let's do it. Chelsea, Let's do Jeff it. joined us. Oxford United nil, Chelsea nil. We ought to mention the kit. Well, I spent all afternoon looking for mine because it's actually one of my favourites and I cannot find it anywhere. Um, I think it's it's like the default Oxford United kit. Everything gets compared, should be compared to it. It's the perfect Oxford United kit for me. It was a thing of beauty. And for the, it was the first time in years we'd had a decent manufacturer as well, like a manufacturer yes. you'd actually heard of. <laughs> uh, as opposed to like you know, this one, which was made by that well-known brand OUFC, for instance. Yes. Or mine, which is Match Winner. <laughs> oh, Wise and Grey, that's a good, uh, good match, isn't it? See, I never saw us as being a kind of not not we were never a nasty team, but a, a savvy team. But if you think about Tate and Gray and Windass, Robinson, Mike Ford left the season before, but we had a lot of we had a lot of grit in that side. David well, Smith I mean, was on the bench as well this game. He was basically Martin Gray's twin brother. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he, he also was just a slightly kind of dirty match. Well, he was a, a street fighter, basically, wasn't he? I think that's what they called him. Somebody who just literally kind of went around kicking the, the flair players of the other team and winning the ball back, which I guess you did, we did need. But at the time, the purists are, um, you know, we want everybody to be Joe Beecham. Uh, but we needed those players. Got a chance here. We're never going to score. Never. Not against yeah. Chelsea. Not against this, the money bags of Chelsea. From, you know, the size of their centre-halves, how are we ever going to get more from the set-piece? <laughs> Bestai, Dubry, Terry, Leboeuf. Oh, hang on. What? Yeah, and he came and celebrated in front of the Beach Road Hardcore. Talk about it being a gritty team, Dan. I guess we had a very gritty manager, which probably yeah. was a big factor in that. Um, in that, you know, well, we know what we like as a player and as a manager. I guess we can't say too much without saying allegedly, but I think he was, yeah, quite the uh, sergeant major type. Sergeant major. Yeah. I was just thinking last time we were in 1986 and there was a lot of pistachios. This is 1999 and we've still got Shotton. 
<laughs> Ed De Hoy has got a moustache, and one of the linesmen has got a moustache. So it's still they're hanging around, <laughs> and these are non-ironic, non-hipster moustaches as well. Yeah. We'll do that. We'll do a tash count for every every show. <laughs> Did he play for us again, Elliot Jackson? He played more games well, he played than the I replay, thought. Obviously, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he played quite a lot prior to that. Between so we we obviously sold Whitehead um, and brought Gerard in, but he did play quite a few games uh, in between. I again, you know, your mind plays tricks on you. I kind of thought this was his only game. You know that he'd come in for this one game, had an absolute worldie, and then uh, disappeared again. But yeah, he played, played quite a few games. But he was tremendous. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, in in many ways, but and I've seen the light, the full coverage. It doesn't do it justice of just how good he was. You thought he was the Paul Swanwick of the nineties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, he gave Dougie a chance, you know, we knew he'd come back on his left foot, I thought he should have delivered it. But he wanted to go outside onto his right, gave Dougie the chance. He can't produce again. Fantastic noise now around the man of ground, as the whole only just got that one clear. The free kick has been given to Chelsea. Now, just gives him a chance, gets settled. How many corns have we got in this game? And unlike a certain team we could mention playing in yellow, in yellow and blue at the moment, we seem to be quite good at corners then as well. Yeah. It was always a threat, wasn't it? Well, I, I, we could... My teens and 20s were spent watching teams in yellow and blue score from corners all the time. We just seemed to have the same routine no matter who was in, in the team. We'd have a near post corner, we'd have a big guy on, on the near post flicking it on and then two or three people bundling in behind him and scoring. It seemed to happen a lot for quite a long time. That's my that's my go-to uh, corner tactic. I, you know, even now at games, I don't know why we don't have somebody on the front post to flick it on. I'm sure corner science has uh, moved on since then. Big Kev was that he'd almost died a few months earlier. I don't know if you remember, he, the season before this, he'd had an amazing run in with us. He joined us with like 15 games to go. 
and uh, had just come in and done brilliantly. We had we used him perfectly. We didn't just lump big long balls up at him. We we used him as a kind of a, a, a proper threat. So we built our entire game around getting wingers to whip in crosses, and he would be there and header in, which is how he used Big Kev. And he'd been absolutely brilliant for us. And then in the pre-season friendly at the start of this season, we played. I think they were the Greek champions, Panionios. Mm. And Big yeah. Kev had uh, got, he'd just come back from knee surgery and he played that game and got his knee infected. And everyone just thought, oh, you know, it's going to be a, a, a small, you know, small problem. He'll be in hospital for a very short time while they clean it out. But actually, it got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where he was almost like, you know, it's a life or death situation for a while. Uh, and then he, he recovered, came back, and he was rushed back for this game. Um, he hadn't played in absolutely ages and came back for this game. And as you can tell from what happened, he clearly isn't ready for, for match play at all. Um, and I felt incredibly bad for him, knowing what happened in this game after what he'd been through. Well, I, it's funny you should say that because that is, I've only, I only, when looking at this previously, uh, realised this was his first game of the season. Yeah. And it's not like he'd been in and out of the team. He'd, he just hadn't played. And like you say, so, so, what ha so what will subsequently happen in a few minutes? Um, you've got to put it into that context. And which is why he got such a warm reception when he came on. Because you know he'd been absolutely brilliant for us. We've been looking forward to him and Windass playing together all season because they're both you know they both had amazing goal scoring records. Um, and everyone was really excited to have him back. But he'd been rushed back basically and was nowhere near ready to play. I didn't realise it was that serious. Um, I, don't, I don't remember hearing that at all. I wonder if, I mean, Shotgun probably brought him on because, you know, for his defensive abilities and set pieces, I'd imagine. It's a strange substitution when you look at who else is on the bench as well. You know, we're, we're winning 1-0 at the time and you're bringing on a guy who's not played in six months, seven months. It's a strange substitution. Really. But I, I think sometimes managers fall into the trap of kind of believing magic and so the idea of Francis coming on and scoring and you know on a great night sort of overrides the logic which is he clearly wasn't match fit and there were other better players to bring on yeah I, I think the classic example of that for me is when Graham Taylor took off Lineker for Alan Smith and if it had worked he would have been a stroke of genius yeah <laughs> I noticed Francis came on to sub and he was number 16 and we, I guess because we're in the first division, we're still playing 1-11 to as the starting lineup, and then the subs have, I guess, what, 12 onwards, whereas Chelsea have squad numbers, so I'm guessing the Premier League had squad numbers by this point, names on their shirts, etc, but it hadn't filtered down into the lower leagues then. That's right. I, I, I think it's one of the things that 
around that time, it, it kind of it was that was the sort of thing that illustrated the, the real gap that was was there between not just obviously. I, I think they say in the commentary the team's 28 million quid, which is a lot of money. Um, but it was that whole how they looked was different. Physically, they looked bigger and stronger. But yeah, the squad numbers and everything just yeah, you know, completely different world to the one we were in. I guess their stadium was a little bit better as well. <laughs> Although I hate, I hate some of the bridges. However, I mean just to look at it, it's so nineties, isn't it? The outside is so nineties. I think it's like this, it's so nineties. It's this, the stadium equivalent of the Seinfeld logo. It's terrible. <laughs> And it's the least comfortable I've ever been at a football match. Oh, I reckon he was he was laying it off for Cook. <laughs> An extravagant layoff. Yeah. A two-footed layoff. Look at that! Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Basically, he's done okay on the pitch until this point, and basically everything from here on in is a bit of a disaster. Um, the challenge by Paul Tate on the buff earlier was horrific. <laughs> here we go, this is it in slow motion. Oh. <laughs> what did he get a yellow? don't think he got anything actually. No, is that, I think that's a straight either. red now, isn't it? Easily. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's the one that Leboeuf took issue with that because um, as he walked past, Shotman was praising Tate for the for the for the, for the challenge. And oh yeah, there we go. Okay, is this what yeah. this is about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So basically, Shotman was sort of saying nice one and you know, maybe Linda was in a black hat. That's Graham Ricks. <laughs> Our mate, omnipresent Graham Ricks. Of course, yeah, VR's assistant. Are we trying to sneak him into every episode? I was going to say, I think he might be the only ever present. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, dear, oh, dear. so many clubs at the minute who are financial basket cases um we really were at the time we were like one of the original basket case clubs right and i remember at stockport the, we played stockport shortly after this and their fans were doing like a bucket collection for oxford united and stuff i just remember everyone having kind of 
huge amounts of kind of sympathy and kind of you know, good feeling towards us, um, which is really, I think it's strange. It's strangely beautiful, I think. Probably people who are you know, not fans of the Maxwell family. Arguably I mean, the there, there, was, there was an element of that, perhaps, that, that you know, we'd been hard done by because although we've had a couple of owners since Maxwell, it all starts with Maxwell's death in 91. And and it was that basically people had toyed around with us and got us into a mess. And it was nothing to do with the fans. And maybe that's where the, a lot of sympathy came from, is that the fans ultimately are the victims. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the, na the nature of how it happened because mm. I feel sorry for Derby fans now. Yeah. I don't have much sympathy for how that occurred because they flaunted rules, they brought Rooney in through some, you know, circuitous route involving betting firms. It's hard to feel sympathy with that club as some might have thought, you know, felt for us. And I remember, I mean, I've contributed to several fundraisers. Uh, Berry. It was quite close from Banger, wasn't it? No. Well, close for Bangers. It's close for Bangers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> the goal oh, didn't make it into shot with that one. <laughs> yeah, I think it was it. I can't remember. In Rochdale, maybe, where you donated and they put your name on one of their seats. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm more inclined to feel sympathy for a club like that. Aha! Ah, uh, may we. <laughs> One for the kids here. Christoph Remy looked remarkably like Timothy Claypole from Rentigas. <laughs> and another moustache. Yeah. Goatee. Very Goatee. nice. Yeah. yeah. Moustaches are involved. Oh dear. There's gun. No gun. Not gun for. So I am somewhere, I reckon, just behind Gun. I, that's exactly who I stood next to. I like that you can name the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've just got to see this out for the last bit of um, injury time. Yeah, just get it away. Anywhere. Yeah. Hoof it up. Oh. I mean, I remember that moment of disbelief. I mean, he does get the ball. Yeah. Um, but, well, would VAR overturn that? I think it's one of those ones that VAR would not overturn either way. If he'd given it, I don't think he, it would be overturned. If it wasn't given, it wouldn't be a penalty. I think it's more contentious than uh, history has written. Um, it's, it's a trickier call. And I think there's an element in this where, because it's Francis who's gangly, that you kind of expect him to do something that's clumsy. There's a whole, and of course, you know, Chelsea are this refined, you know, skilled team. Oh. The celebration here is outrageous again that's that's celebrations from players who know how to play up to cameras week and week out yeah yeah they're media trained 
This well, is Jackson's so close to it as well. It makes me feel sick in the stomach. I mean, I mean there's a lot of things that you say about why should why was Francis on the pitch anyway? What I mean, what went through his head because Bialy had his back to goal. There was no need to make that challenge no. whatsoever. There's so many yellow shirts. Yeah. And also, he, he was an experienced player. And like you say, if you just ushered him out, I and mean, just ushered him out, <laughs> but um, he could have, he could have just, yeah, sort of buffeted him rather than yeah, just yeah. Go lunging in. I mean, the irony of this, I guess, is that there's what full house, full capacity, of United fans, players, staff. Everybody absolutely gutted by that. Yeah, financially, it was the best thing that could have happened to yeah. us, really, isn't it? Yep. We needed that replay money. Um, so, yeah, I'm not saying that replay money saved us, but um, probably paid staff a couple of weeks. No, the moustache and stupid. there. Well, I guess you could have talked to your creditors at this point to say, well, we've got another payday coming in 10 days' time. Yeah. Yes. He might have staved yeah. off the um, Windows transfer to Huddersfield, perhaps. Yeah. He would have done. But, by, but as you say, by that point, you know, kind of the whole emotion had take, taken over. This was about winning the game, not about the, the money. I mean, I, later on, they analyse it from the perspective that this is the best result for Oxford, which logically it was, but... Oh, yeah. terrible stuff. Hard to take. Oh, I feel sick. I felt absolutely sick at the end. I went to the butcher's arms afterwards and drowned my sorrows <laughs> and then staggered back onto the X90 back to London, incredibly drunk and, uh, yeah, just feeling absolutely heartbroken by it all. Mm. <sighs> there's, a, there's an eerie silence after a last-minute goal at the Manor at the manor because inside of course it's kind of it's broiling you know it's noisy and all that kind of stuff and then you just filtered out when you filtered out from the london road and you went down the that um the alleyway and there's deathly silence as you kind of filtered out nobody talked to each other it was just awful it was the same on the beach road but to be fair that was probably every week it was pretty So what happened next, OB? Talk us through the, the following week or two. I mean, in terms of the league, um, I think we actually did we did snatch a win in between this game and the uh, and the replay. But we headed off to Stamford Bridge, uh, started with the same side, and then what, two three minutes in, I remember I was uh, I was working in London at the time, and I remember going straight from work on the tube packed full of Chelsea fans and just and I'd never been to a Premier League ground I'd been to a top flight ground before but I'd never been in the Premier League era and so the whole place was like it was like some 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 sort of American razzmatazz all this sort of stuff it was a completely different world to me and then five minutes into the game we took the lead and I, and I, rem- I do distinctly remember this you know we've really angered them here we are never, I, I don't know if I can handle this because I can't do this for 85 minutes. I can't hang on like this for 85 minutes. And eventually, they had Nico Forcell, didn't they? I think was possibly making his debut. Yes, it was and his was, debut. He uh, was 17, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, he, and he was magnificent. And Zola scored a fantastic um, uh, lob. 
as well. Um, we did get a second with a penalty, I think. Windass again, wasn't it? Windass Windass again, yeah. Yeah. Just before the end. Yeah. And you were saying that Dennis Wise got sent. Well, I know Dennis Wise got sent off, but I didn't realise it was uh, in the circumstances. Yeah, I, I think it was sort of in. Uh, I think he got two yellows in the space of about two minutes. It's also worth noting that Mike Reed was the referee for that replay as well. Apparently, Oxford United could have uh, requested a change of ref, but we we didn't. Right. For whatever reason, so he refed that match as well. So we we ended up losing that four two. But the thing I probably should have mentioned in between the two games was the uh, the takeover by Mister Feroz Kassam, who uh, who took the club over at that point. So I remember going to the Chelsea game on the tube. Again, I, I finished work. I was working in London and uh, got the tube around Stamford Bridge. And I remember seeing something on the back page of the standard saying Oxford buoyed by takeover and being so excited by it and thinking, oh, my God, this is really exciting. It was the first time I think that the Kassam name had appeared. Um, and I remember looking at every kind of well-dressed Asian businessman on the tube thinking, I wonder if he's for Oz Kassam, you know, coming to watch the game. And I remember afterwards, the players went to his one of his hotels in London for their post-match meal. Yes. Um, I remember that vividly as well. So I remember but it was, well, so it was obviously around a time where there was a lot of sugar dad, daddies. I don't know, had Chelsea, Chelsea haven't been taken over by Abramovich at that point, I don't think. But no, Jack Walker. No, it was still Ken Bates, was it? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. it was, because there was an argument about who got the ticket revenue. There was a suggestion that Chelsea didn't need it and handed it over to Oxford and Ken Bates wouldn't give it to us. Um, <laughs> bless him. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, there was Jack Walker and people like that. So, and Premier, the Premier League obviously was make, making a lot of money. And Kassam came in worth whatever they were saying he was worth, 200, 300 million pounds. The, it's one of those kind of very heavily caveated thing of, you know, the richest Asian in the UK or something like that. And yeah, it was, this was the, this was the sort of rebirth is what, what I think everybody was expecting. I think they were, they were yeah. expecting us to just plow him to plow tens of millions of pounds into the club and turn it into a Premier League team. And instead right. we sold Dean Windass and got relegated. <laughs> so that was yes, good. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause at the time we were talking about him, I mean, Hindsight is twenty twenty, but I mean, at the time we were talking about him being our saviour. And I guess there is an argument to be made that without him, we may not be sat in now. We may not have, have had a club to support. So despite what he ended up doing and the way he did it and, you know, the, the aggravation that that all caused a lot of people, at the time, we couldn't foresee that. And actually, it just felt like, yeah, a, a huge relief. Yeah, he was the man and, yeah. We've jumped on a bit. Do you want to hear from the players themselves after yeah. the match? This is a little compilation of clips. It includes uh, Jim Smith, who was the Sky Pundit, going totally mad at the end as well. So here we go. Okay, guys, 1-1 is a great result, but you must feel as though you're being robbed, do you? Personally, yeah. I mean, I hope you'll show up on your TV monitors later on, but, you know, where did the ball go? I mean, you know, what, what else can we say without getting in trouble with referees in the FA? So, well, what did you feel about the tackle that you made? Well, I wouldn't have gone in for it if the, you know, if the ball wasn't there. I mean, I played the ball, the ball went out for a throw-in, I think. Never mind a corner. 
And as they do, like, you know, they've gone down, he's rolled a little bit. Referees fall for it, give it them. I mean, the boys were magnificent. I mean, I didn't have hardly anything to do, two or three saves. I mean, it's just gutting when something like that happens. And Dean, this is a replay for you. Financially for the club, what does it mean? Yeah, obviously for the club. It's uh, very important. Uh, but the, the club want you to wager anyway, so they've, they've got that now anyway. But as you say, we'll look forward to going there. And we'll probably do well again. You should be celebrating in there, but it'll be a bit like a wake now, won't it? Yeah, as you say, I'm, I'm gutted. Do not have to be quite honest with you, George. Um, but as you say, it carries on and you play again. We can show you an angle of the, of the penalty. Kevin Francis on uh, Luca Viali. I think he's took the ball. Here it is again, have a look. Boys have defended brilliant. And I think he's took the ball. You don't think he's come from behind a little bit? I think he's come from the side. But I think if the referee's got any any angle, he's, he sees him coming from the side. Difficult to talk about referees' decisions, but do you think you would have got that in your favour at the other end? No. You've had a hard time tonight, haven't you, really? I'm going to bite my tongue here. Um, yes. <laughs> it's a shame, isn't it, in a democracy that managers can't say what they want to in situations like that. Very dignified, Malcolm Shotton. Say straight away, not Chelsea's fault. You'll take it. Anybody would in the same circumstances, but uh, that's tough, Jim, isn't it? That's very tough tonight. Well, they were cheated, to be honest. It was, uh, they were, I, felt, I feel really sorry for uh, the club and Malcolm and, uh, and the boys. I thought they were just cheated. I thought the decision was an absolute disgrace. From a catalogue, really, a throw-in that perhaps wasn't theirs in the first place, a corner that I think you had some doubts about. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I, uh... Is there a touch there? I could have had my air cut, it wouldn't have been. If there was a touch, it was a hair's breadth, wasn't yeah. it, quite literally? A very harsh decision. And then, from the corner, Chelsea did their job, kept it in there. Well, he's gone, he's, he's, gone, he's played the ball, uh, the big fella's played the ball. Got tied on. He's not gone. He's not gone from the back. The referee's probably a little bit. Well, he's a little to the left, and he's just yeah. reported to us that he had a perfect view and felt that Francis came through him. <laughs> there he is. Look, you just see him to the left of the screen. Yeah, that's a chip of the referee's reply. He didn't look through him. He played the ball. The first guy. The first guy to play the ball was Francis. Churlish to point out again that it's the same ref that gave the penalty against Leicester, isn't it? But it was the same ref that didn't it. So he's saying that Mike Reed has a bit of previous giving uh, mm. penalties to big clubs against smaller clubs. And so I do remember feeling that sense of injustice and kind of the inevitability of the injustice was coming the whole way through. I think he anticipated, he anticipated that they would have a chance or that they would, that, that we would have to resort to foul play in order to, to keep them out. So he, he, whilst I haven't, I don't, think he cheated as such but I think he anticipated a problem and then when he saw something that looked like a problem that's when he gave it shocking yeah he'd done the same two years previously again for Chelsea I think it's against Leicester yeah um in a replay so yeah not only did he have history it was, it was also with Chelsea I did I did have a look on, on online actually and uh the Guardian said that the decision was preposterous and that the replay would be played under a cloud of injustice. There you go. <laughs> That's the Guardian. <laughs> exactly. And you, uh, they know injustice when they see it at the Grand. Definitely. <laughs> well, we, we hope you enjoyed watching us 
collapse in the 90th minute against Chelsea. We uh, join us next time when we'll be watching another game, but we don't know which. We'll figure that out. So, Dan, Rich, see you later. Thank you. See you, everyone. That's sweet. And that's victory for.